What's up, fellas? Spring football is in full effect here in Oklahoma, so finally back in my element. If you guys need your football fix, you can head to runthepower.com. We've got series over uh, passing game with long handoffs. Coach Walls just broke down Washington State's passing game against Stanford. We have install where we've installed pin and pull, uh, power, inside zone, and we'll install passing game here coming soon. Uh, so you guys can all go check that out. Also, uh, in late June, we've got college and high school offensive line coaches from across the country putting on live free clinics for offensive line coaches. That's June 18th to the 24th, and that is our uh, RTP Hot Summit. So you guys can go sign up for free at runthepower.com to watch that live or pay for the all-access pass, which is only $75 at this time. It's only $50 for RTP Premium members and it will go up uh, once the summit starts so you guys go sign up for free or go get the all access pass right now at runthepower.com this episode of the podcast is brought to you by team builder team builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country whether you write your own programs have a full-time strength coach or need training programs team builder can make your program more efficient more accountable and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. Make sure you guys put in the code RTP. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Just Play. Whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation, Just Play has a solution for you. They have recently released a new product called My Just Play. My Just Play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels, from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Thomas McPherson. Coach Mack is the head coach at Orange Park High School in Orange Park, Florida. Listen as we talk with Coach Mack about his football videos on YouTube, his philosophy on playing and practicing fast, and his website, playfastfootball.org. You can follow Coach Mack on Twitter at CoachMack8740. Hope you guys enjoy. I'm Coach McPherson. I'm the head football coach at Orange Park High School. Uh, originally from Long Island, New York. Played Division Three football and 1AA non-scholarship football uh, at St. John's University in New York. Uh, moved down to Florida in 1998 to be an assistant coach at a high school. And uh, got a head coaching job the year after that in 1999. I've been a head coach in high school in the state of Florida since then. So somewhere around 20 seasons now. Um, about six years ago, I started the uh, started my own YouTube channel and then started it under the, the moniker of Play Fast Football. And to this date, that's probably where most people know me from, from YouTube and social media. And was able to speak at a couple of Glazier clinics, uh, wrote an article for USA Football Coaching Notes in 2017. So um, I would say all my years of coaching and everything I've done, I would say most people probably know me as the, either the YouTube guy or the play fast guy, one or the other. <laughs> How did, uh, did, is that kind of before everyone else started uh, getting into it? I think that's probably 
um, six years ago, it would probably be before YouTube anyways, it would be uh, quite a bit before most of the football guys like like us even got on YouTube or podcasts or anything like that um, uh, on, uh, you know, the technology side of football. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting because it's really not the technology side because all I did was press record on a camera and walk out in front of it. Um, I'm not really technologically um, really that savvy. But, uh, yeah, it was probably, you know, one of the first maybe YouTube channels, if you want to consider it, in coaching or high school coaching. And, you know, what had happened was in the offseason I was – you know, I like everybody else since I started in the business every offseason I was – you know, I was a junkie, always looking for information. And in the old days, in the you know, back in the 90s when I started as a graduate assistant, you had to go to clinics and you had to drive to other schools to get information. And, and then, uh, you know, when, when the Internet picked up and then YouTube picked up, um, you know, nowadays you have information kind of right at your fingertips. And a couple of years ago when I was, you know, in my normal off-season routine of, of looking at how to get a little bit better and, and how to learn a little bit more, uh, what I noticed was there are a lot of blogs out there and there are a lot of people doing, um, you know, they were doing stuff on the internet, but it always seemed like they were analyzing somebody else's stuff. And it always seemed like they were taking uh, PDF files or pages of playbooks or college cutups. And they were always analyzing what everybody else did and um, didn't really see anybody out there uh teaching their own stuff or, or teaching stuff that was relevant to how you would use it in high school. And um, I didn't really see anybody getting out in front of a camera on a whiteboard and kind of doing it. You know, I, I kind of envisioned it when I started, why not do, why not do clinic sessions in front of a camera the way they would be done on a clinic, get on a whiteboard and draw things up and talk about schemes and, and fundamentals and techniques. And, um, you know, originally it was kind of funny. I, I almost did it as a way to self scout, uh, my own stuff to see if I really believed in what I was doing and to see if, if I knew it, uh, as much of what I was doing as I thought I did and kind of huh. check myself to see if, if I could teach things the way I thought I could teach them. And if my teaching, uh, you know, if my pedagogy and my, my mannerisms and, and my, my language and verbiage, if all that stuff was sound and it kind of took off from there and, and grew into, uh, you know, six years later, I've got 15,000 YouTube followers and a bunch of Twitter followers. So uh, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, and 15,000 YouTube followers, uh, you see the, the really big name with millions. But just to get uh, a couple hundred, I found out on YouTube is almost impossible, it seems like. So 15,000 is, is an unbelievable number. Have you ever, have you ever um, learned something about yourself as far as your coaching uh, from someone watching your video because because that's how you said you wanted to start you know kind of the reason was to start was to see um, how effective you were I, I would I would assume maybe there's been a couple times that someone said hey that doesn't make sense and or you know maybe one part hey can you can you re-go over that and then you said oh yeah maybe there is a, a, a more simple way to break this down to somebody that that uh, maybe would come from outside of our program. Yeah, I mean, that happens all the time when you're talking about things. The one thing about the platform that I use is you have no idea who the audience is and you have no idea who you're talking to. You assume that you're talking to all football coaches and you assume that you're talking to people that um, are going to have an understanding of what you're talking about. And, you know, through the through the comments sections and and uh, and emails and, and other things, I get I'll get messages all the time from people that say, coach, can you go back and explain what you said about this or why you said this or why you said that. And, 
you know, there's times I go back and look at the videos and, and because I don't edit any of them, um, I just recently started having a former player of mine uh, edit some videos for a new website that I started up. And, but the original YouTube videos, and I still do them, um, to this day, I still do the original YouTube videos where I don't edit them. So a lot of times, you know, I do say some things that maybe uh, weren't as clear as I should have said them, or maybe I explained or went to, a, you know, I went to a topic without fully explaining it, assuming that everybody knew um, what I was, what I was talking about or what the subject was. So, uh, you know, you learn all the time that, that you don't know who your audience is. So you really got to, uh, you got to kind of envision that you're teaching someone who maybe doesn't know what you're talking about. And then when they respond, you know, you just have to be, you know, courteous enough to try and hit everybody back that responds and let them know, you know, hey, either I apologize for, for not explaining that better, or is there something that you need to know? So I try to respond to every message I get um, on YouTube and every email I get. And I think that's a good way to kind of interact with people and be transparent with people that, you know, I, it's the same thing with Twitter. I mean, if you if you look at my Twitter handle, I have almost as many followers as the people I'm following. If somebody follows me, you can almost guarantee I'm going to follow back. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's just that's just kind of being upfront and transparent with people that to, you know to say that you're you know I'm just a guy. I'm just a high school football coach. I I love doing what I do, and if I can help people, that's great. And you know, but uh, you know, I didn't get in it to to have thousands of people follow you and then you be selected with who you follow back. I mean. I'm selective, not trying not to follow too many high school players back. Um, right. Yes. Selective okay. trying. I try not to follow too many women back. Uh, don't want to get in trouble at home. So I, I'm a little bit. <laughs> That's a good call. That stuff, but as far as, as far as other stuff, you know, if somebody follows me, I follow them back and I'm just trying to create a network and, and, you know, just kind of build a, you know, build a brand per se. And, 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 you know, whether it's Coach Mack or Play Fast, whatever people recognize, I'm just, you know, every day trying to get a little bit better at building that brand. Well, I think uh, the reason I asked that, I, th I think that's one of the hardest things um, to do as a coach, especially if you've been in it uh, 10 years, is to remember where your players are coming from, especially when you get your new group of players in, you know, your, your freshman or your sophomore, whatever group that you get that, that's that first group. Um, you start forgetting – I don't know if everyone does, but I know that's been a problem with me. It's been a problem with some of the coaches I've had. It's like they've done it for so long that they forget that the the base that the player is coming from sometimes. And, and as a coach, it's like, man, I'm thinking about football, you know, 20 hours of the day where this kid maybe isn't thinking about it other than while he's at football. And so I've been doing that for however many years. I've been coaching it, and, and it's like – it's really, really easy to forget steps one through five and go straight to six. And, and if a kid's not, um, you know, it doesn't have the wherewithal enough to, to kind of speak up and say, hey, I don't understand that, you could get through months and, and the kid not understand any of it because you never really touched on, on uh, you know, levels one through five. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you bring that up. It's like, you know, you – you guys have, uh, you know, you, you have a, a cult following of people that follow Run the Power. And I think every one of us as coaches assumes that everybody knows what power is. And you kind of forget sometimes when you're coaching, yeah, you know, we all love the power play, but that ninth grade kid you're getting probably has no idea what power means. Exactly. So, you know, you, you got to go back and, and kind of, you know, the one unforeseen in, in high school football is you, you, unless you're in small communities where you're very involved with the, youth groups and the middle schools if you're in 
if you're in an area like ours that has seven high schools within a 30 mile radius and, and the middle schools are going to feed multiple schools, you know, a lot of times our middle schools aren't running our system. They're not using our verbiage. And, you know, you get a kid up there and, and, you know, you watch them play. Our, we have a middle school that plays games on our field. So on Tuesday nights, I go to all those home games and watch them play. But I have no idea what they really do and don't know about the game of football. And, and you end up finding out that halfway through their ninth grade year, you just wasted five months of your time because they didn't understand things that you should have went over five months ago. And, you know, you and the rest of the coaching staff are banging your head against the wall wondering why they don't get it. And <laughs> you might be part of the problem. They don't get it because you never explained it. That's exactly right. When, when me and Walls went to uh, Missouri uh, a few years back, one of their coaches was telling us uh, he got up to college and, and they were, you know, or maybe it was the end of college. I can't remember. And they were asking him, oh, so what did you guys run last year at high school or whatever? And he was like, oh, we ran uh, 36 or whatever it was, 32. And they're like, oh, how'd you block that up? What play is that? And he's like, I don't know. We ran 32 and 33 and I ran really hard into the hole. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I, I don't know. And, and those coaches were like, well, how do you not know? He's like, well, I had never been taught. I mean, well, I don't know. I just, I just didn't know it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's probably more common than you would, than, than you would think it is. Um, you know, especially at that level, you, you, you think if somebody was a really good player and maybe they come on as a GA or maybe they come on as an analyst or something like that, you just assume that they know certain things and, and you end up finding out that, you know, sometimes even the best players in the game don't really understand why it goes on. They just know what to do when they get the ball or they just know what to do when a certain gap is open or, you know, I mean, exactly. there's, there's a difference between, you know, being a great player and then being someone who can actually, you know, draw something up and, and analyze it and teach it to other people. So I think that's what, so one thing that makes coaching, you know, so great in the game of football is there's so many different ways to skin a cat and, it's also the downside of football. There's no one, um, there's no one glossary or, 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 you know, there's no one um, set definition on what everybody calls something. We could sit here and talk about a one technique for an hour and argue about it and find out we're talking about the same thing. Um, you know, so I think that makes football kind of unique in a way, but I think it also makes it challenging at times when you're dealing with, you know, coaching coaches or coaching players. You really, you know, you have to understand – what their level of understanding is before you go any further. I think that's so true today too. I mean, you, you've probably heard it many different times being on, on social media as well, but it's almost like the, you know, the, the, the name police is kind of what I call it, you know, Hey, you called it this. Well, that's wrong. I call it that, you know, and, and people spend so much time debating on what to call it. And you're, you're sitting like, I think you guys are missing the point. You know, the, the point is that there is many ways to, to skin the cat, as you put it. And there's many ways to call different things. It's all about how you understand it and how you can teach it. It's not about who's right. It's about, hey, let's let's learn something new and let's get better. I think the one thing that that I see on social media now and and you know, I I, I still think there's too many guys out there that kind of you know, that kind of stick to a philosophy that you know, I always used to say that guys, you know, guys don't coach what they know, they coach because of what they don't know. Um, and you know, there would be guys that would know a certain system inside and out. And as the game changed or the game evolved, if they were never willing to learn another system, you know, sometimes the game can kind of pass you by a little bit and you got to be willing to wrinkle what you do and change what you do. And, and, you know, that doesn't, to me, there's no one that's any better than the other. I mean, you got to take a group of kids at a level that you're at 
and you got to try and get first downs and put points on the board, and you got to try and stop teams from getting first downs and putting points on the board. And however you choose to do that, you know, is up to you. Um, there's several different ways to do it, and the more you realize that the game is really a conglomeration of ideas, and it's really no longer um, dead set on systems or, you know. Um, certain schools of thought I think the best if you if you study enough college football the best offenses are now a a, a hodgepodge of everything mm-hmm. and you know they're they're uh they're finding ways to take all these things that certain systems couldn't do and combine them to where they take the best of each one and and uh you know unfortunately on social media you still have too many people out there that want to defend and it's good to to defend what you believe in and and I try my best not not to get into argue, arguments like that on social media. I just try and tell people, hey, look, you know, run what you run, run what you love, run what you believe in, sell it to your people and do it the best you can. And, you know, I mean, if you do that, I think you can have some success. But I, I just don't like getting into arguments, you know, with um, – I don't like getting into arguments saying that this system is better, this system is soft, this system can't run the ball, this system can't throw the ball. You know, I think there's a lot of different ways to do things. and I think if you're willing to experiment and get out of your comfort zone, I think you can find that you can mix what you do with something that other people do and you can make it even better. Well, that's, that's the part to me that right now is so fun is that it's like, uh, at least for me and where I am in coaching is, is it's like, how do I take all of these different things and, and maybe some of these plays that, like you said, wouldn't normally be in the same offense, but how do I, melt those down and make them palatable to my kids how can my kids run you know a bunch of these different schemes uh, but still make those rules all very similar or maybe put certain plays in certain buckets that way they don't have to learn uh, a ton of different things and I can make it as simple as I can but still add in a bunch of stuff I think that's always the fun part for me anyways uh, these past couple years is how do I add this stuff but make it really simple uh, and how do I how do I, you know, make – how do I marry up all of these different concepts from different things uh, and put it into one one playbook that makes sense to my kids? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because, like, you see guys that, you know, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard it before because, because of the moniker of your channel, but, you know, you see guys that say RPO means run power often. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, th- there may be some truth to that. And, and you know, power has been one of the – number one or number two running plays in football for the longest time in the world. But if you really want to run the power and you learn how to RPO and take a guy out of the box that you can't account for, you'll run a better power play. So, you know, you can still do all the things that you love by adding some and wrinkling some other things that doesn't make you soft. It doesn't make you want to throw the ball 50 times. But if you've got a box that has a guy that you can't account for and you can run your bread and butter play while accounting for that guy by reading him, why not do that and make it a better play? Well, I think the best example of that, and, and I, I probably harp on it too much, but is, is North Dakota State. I mean, they're a team that runs power probably more than anybody does. Uh, I know it's the, the people that I look to the most. And they've got just enough. Like you said, they've got RPO. They've got uh, ability to run pin and pull and read the backside three. They've got quarterback run game. They'll get into, you know, like a 30 personnel diamond set and run – um, you know, all different things that you wouldn't normally can, you wouldn't really think of when you think 
uh, you know, 22 personnel most of the time, North Dakota State. You know, they got all these different wrinkles they can run off of it that keeps defenses from, like you said, just packing everyone in the box every time. You know, I think, I think sometimes people, if they don't study enough of a certain school or a certain place, I think, you know, people – North Dakota State, and they know how successful they've been and how many championships they won and how physical they are, and they just assume that they are going to be in certain things. But then when you watch them play, you see all the wrinkles and the nuances that they have, and you understand why they're so tough to defend. And they understand what gives them issues, so they understand that they can't sit in 22 or, you know, or 31 all game and just run it down your throat when the other team has 65 scholarship players. So they're smart enough to understand that they do what they do. They do it as good as anybody in the country. And then they wrinkle what they do so that you have to stay on your toes to defend, you know, what their best stuff is. And, and they just find ways to protect their own place. I mean, that's in the essence of it, no matter what you're doing, if, you know, if you're a good offense, you find a way to protect your own plays and, and you find a way to make sure that your plays are presented in a manner that, you know, look like everything else that you're doing. And when you do it formationally from some different wrinkles and, you know, I'm sure their kids probably have, you know, a couple main things that they understand. And then when they wrinkle them, they're really not changing anything for the kids. They're just changing the presentation of the play. So it looks different to the defense, but their kids are doing day one stuff. And I think that's probably what makes them on top of the physicality at which they do it. I think that's, you know, what makes them so dominating at that level. I think the other thing that it does too is, is it kind of allows for your defense to be able to to learn how to defend a, a myriad of different things too you know if you're just a a power team 21 22 sometimes maybe that can be a detriment because you know one your your scout teams aren't very multiple and they can't run those things and then i think too you know now all of a sudden your your defense isn't used to seeing those good pictures where now if you if you are pretty multiple you've practiced many different things and and like both of you guys have said when you've able to kind of melt all of these, you know, great thought, uh, great thoughts, great ideas, great plays, and, and at least you have it within your system, doesn't mean you're running those things week in and week out, but having that in your system, now it becomes a lot easier, I think, for your defense then to get a better look and adapt every single week, you know, and, and, and if we play a team that throws the ball a lot, now we have the ability to, to do some seven on seven. I think that really helps the overall value of your program. Yeah, I think the, uh, the easiest way to look at that is probably the other way around when you had all the all the air raid run and shoot teams that didn't run the ball. And the first knock on them was their defenses couldn't play physical enough to stop the run game and, and because they never saw it. So um, I think that's why, you know, one of the reasons you started to see some of the successful college guys combining, you know, air raid principles with with, you know, hardcore inside run downhill principles, you know, not only to make their offense better, but I think they felt like their defense had to see it and had to be able to defend certain things so that they could, you know, so that, so that they could compete at, at the highest level with the offenses that they were going to see. And, um, you know, I think, I think the other way around is, is, uh, you know, is a great point too that you bring up. It's, you know, when you see nothing but tight end attached 21 sets and, and 22 sets and, you know, twins and, and nub sets and, you know, you get good at defending all those, but then all of a sudden you find out that your kids can't play in space. So at some point you may want to put them in space a little bit and see if your coverage is hold up to, you know, to, to things that are, that are going to put people in space or maybe you have the wrong personnel on the field or maybe you have the wrong three-by-one checks with a Sam linebacker in the game that you can't play because he can't physically play those things. So I think it's kind of 
both ways around. I, I think it's uh, I think that you know it's definitely helped offenses get better by combining some different theories, and I think it's helped teams get better on defense by understanding that even if we are a certain style of offense, we still defend the things we need to defend so that each week, you know, especially in high school, you see such a, you know, you see such a varying degree of offenses in, in such a wide scope from week to week that, um, you know, you've got to be able to, to make an adjustment within your defense without changing your whole scheme to, to be able to defend something from week to week. And, and, you know, you look at, Look at when Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson came in the ACC, and you know nobody could defend it. And then the following year, what you found out was all those schools were once a week they were having triple option periods, even when they weren't playing Georgia Tech, or maybe they opened spring football with triple option periods because they needed to defend something that they never saw before, and now they were going to see it at least once a year. So I think uh, I think all those things together made offenses and defenses better, and I think they made coaching staffs better because now you know, now your standard offense does enough of everything that you got to defend it all and it helps you play better defense. Coach, I'm kind of curious, you know, you, you said you kind of grew up in, in New York and then made the move to Florida. So, so now you've kind of seen high school football at, at both of those states. Um, and, and obviously Florida is one of those, those states that gets a lot of, uh, you know, pub about their high school football as well as, you know, California and Texas. But you don't hear as much about, you know, at least down here in Oklahoma, you don't hear as much about uh, New York high school football. Uh, it, do you think there's probably more parallels than than people give credit for? Or, or is it I, – I completely just don't know. Or is it quite a bit different uh, high school football in, in the, you know, some of the northern states like New York uh, as compared to Florida? It's light years different. Um, <laughs> you know, it's um... – you know, obviously in Florida, it's a frenzy and, and the talent level is, is absolutely ridiculous. You'll, you know, when I came out in my senior year in 1989, I had a teammate of mine and uh, one of my best friends growing up went to Boston College and then went and played for the Detroit Lions for seven or eight years. And um, he was one of maybe four kids on all of Long Island that, that played Division One football. And, you know, the rest of us were Division Two, Division Three players. And you know, now when I play a 10-game schedule, I'll probably see 30 to 40 Division One players just on my schedule. So, you know, it, it's – the talent is so much different. Having spring football makes it so much different. Having year-round weightlifting programs that, you know, nowadays I think most people do, even even back, you know, back home in New York, I think they have year-round weightlifting stuff. But, um, you know, I, I just think the emphasis of it in Florida and, and having major college football, Division One football, you know, there's no – on Long Island, there's no Division One football. There's no major football. There's, you know, Stony Brook is playing. Stony Brook's playing one double A, and um, Hofstra used to play one double A. But, you know, you've got to go to West Point might be the closest Division One program, and you've got to go a couple hours to either Penn State or Pitt. Or, you know, when I was growing up, Rutgers wasn't very good, and then eventually they got better, and now they're down again. So, um, I think not being around. Uh, major college football also kind of has an impact on it. New York is a very professional sport orientated, um, you know, uh, area, whereas Florida was, was predominantly a college uh, sports area until 20, 25 years ago, you know, when you get the Jaguars and you, and you get baseball and some other things. And so I, I just think there's such a greater emphasis in some parts of the country on high school football, but the talent's different. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, the only thing the only thing that from a coaching standpoint you can say though, you know, I still talk to all my buddies on Long Island and it's all relevant or relative, I'm sorry, because 
that they're coaching the same players, so they don't have any D1 kids, but neither does the opponent. So, mm. you know, it makes it all relative to to itself when if, if you're, you know, if a school from Long Island had to come down and play a school from Florida, then that's probably not real fair. But when they play each other or we play each other or you guys play each other in Oklahoma or, or Texas or wherever you're at, then it makes it a little bit different because you're all, you know, you're all playing with the same cards. You know, obviously each school has, you know, there's haves and have-nots in every state and, and sure. each school, you know, has, has um, you know, certain advantages with talent over some other schools. But it still stays, you know, I, I noticed that when I went to the USA conference two weeks ago and when I go to Glacier Clinics and, you know, you, you, you watch some film and, and you don't see the talent level that you see and you kind of sit back and say to yourself, well, man, it must be a lot nicer when you don't have to play against, you know, uh, NFL D linemen and NFL running backs and Heisman <laughs> Trophy winning quarterbacks. But then at the same time, you look at the guy that's coaching and his team doesn't have him either. So he's doing a job with the talent he has against the talent he's playing against. And so I think that's the great thing about coaching is it's all relative to where you're at. No, that's a great point. And, and Coach Walls, and maybe he can expound on it a little bit more, but that was something that he brought up to me and I kind of used it as an excuse for a long time, but um, I, it always made me mad. And I was always like, oh yeah, that's what the college guys are doing. That's what the pro guys are doing. But they got guys that are, you know, squatting 600 pounds and have a 400 pound bench. And I'm just coaching high school kids. We can't do that. We, you know, we're just high school kids. And then finally Walls, I think it just had enough of hearing me say it. It was like, yeah, they are 500 pound squatters, but they're also playing against 500 pound squatters. He's like that. The, the talent they're playing against matches the talent they have. And so, uh, you know, some of these things do equal out because, yeah, I know your guy isn't squatting 500, but neither is the defensive guy that you're playing against. Yeah, it, you know, it, the, only, the only discouraging part to that is there's weeks where you are playing against those kids. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and, you know, that makes the coaching part of it, you know, a little bit different. And, you know, one of the – one of the recent videos I just did on YouTube, I kind of brought up a point for everybody to understand that, you know, I always learn that in, you know, every year you watch the Kentucky Derby, you never see the jockey carry the horse across the finish line. So, you know, in coaching, you have to understand that, that as much as we love what we do, it, it's always going to come down to a game of dudes. Um, there's a reason the combine is, is on TV. There's a reason there's so many, uh, high school scouting combines than there used to be 30 years ago. And, um, there's a reason that there's all these uh, recruiting sites that make a ton of money because people, fans are interested in players and free agency in the NFL is going to start soon and that's going to be a big deal. And the draft's going to be in April and that's going to be a huge deal because people are interested in the players that they're getting because even the average, you know, the average everyday fan understands that better players win games. So, you know, it's, that's the only, that's the only downside to coaching is sometimes you got to kind of sit back and say to yourself, you know, look, all I can do is the best I can do with what I have. And there's weeks where it, it probably won't matter. And that's a little bit discouraging, but you still love what you do and you do it anyways. Yeah. I think looking back, I learned a little bit, you know, from, from coach Maddox and, and coach Trimble at, at Jenks. And I know we, we actually did watch a lot of, you know, NFL film and, and try to learn some things from, from NFL teams. And again, it was coach Maddox that had kind of said it, you know, coach Matt, coach Maddox said that the NFL is based on mediocrity. If everybody went eight and eight, that's kind of like the NFL's dream. You know, everybody's in the playoff race. Yeah. There's going to be, you know, some things that, that do change, but the, the whole premise of the league is to try to make it as competitive as possible. 
And obviously some teams, you know, do better than others. So those are the teams you wanted to study because you're like in a league where everything was kind of supposed to be quote created equal. There were teams that were consistently doing better. So for instance, like, you know, the Patriots. So you start studying some things that the Patriots do. And, and I always kind of enjoyed, you know, how do they get the tight end involved? You know, how, how are they able to be a five wide team in 21 and 22 personnel? You know, how, how are they able to still line up in two back and, and be able to run the ball and, and I just thought there were so many you know, great ways they use their running backs and things like that. And I thought it was, it was kind of fun to be able to, you know, one, not a lot of high school teams were going to be doing that. And I think, two, it was like, you know what, I have a lot of kind of those, those receiving bodies, you know, whether it was a bigger tight end, maybe it's a little bit skinnier, or, you know, a running back who I felt I could get matchups on and teams – you know, you'd said it before, Coach Mack, you know, they, they have that big Sam linebacker, they have that big Mike linebacker. Well, now I can get my running back matched up on guys like that. I think, you know, those were things that I, I couldn't find maybe in, in high school or I couldn't find in college, but in the NFL, you, you were really seeing that because it was such a matchup-driven league. And I, and I thought I could really pull a lot from that because it made a lot of sense to me and, and I was kind of fascinated by it. Yeah, I think um... – you know, I think when you when you look at it that way, it, it's it's very intriguing to to you know study the 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 teams that have been able to have success and and the you know the um, the coaches that have had longevity and and you know the guys like Belichick who've been able to do it and do it for a long time and um, you know the the only difference for me is the NFL is so you know 360 degrees different than high school football, whereas we have to defend quarterback runs. We have to defend the best athlete being a quarterback. We have to, you know, we have to do things that the NFL doesn't have to do. And when they design coverages and matchups and they design pressures and, you know, a lot of the time they don't even take into account that the quarterback might be a runner. Um, and when you first started seeing some of the, some of the athletic quarterbacks getting a shotgun and run the zone replay in the NFL, it looked like NFL coaches had never studied football before. And, you know, the reason for that was in their schemes and, you know, they were so worried about matchups and so worried about coverage and how they covered guys. And they were such a one high man, you know, man free three deep league that they couldn't account for the quarterback. And now I think when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and the Sean McVay's of the world, I mean, I, I think they've found a way to take that component and add it to the NFL. And I think that's what makes NFL football now a little bit more interesting at least for me, because I never really was a fan of NFL football. It was just so far removed from what I do every day. And, and uh, you know, now I think there's, there's, some, um, there's definitely some validity to high school coaches studying NFL football because now there is some trickle down and you're starting to see those things from college now be applied in the NFL. And now they have to account for the things that we have to account for. And, and you know, so now I think you can study those things and, and you know, get a little bit uh, – get a little, a little bit more insight on how they're able to do um, what they do and, and how they're able to have success with it because the game is now, you know, I'm not going to say it's, it's conducive to high school football, but it's way more conducive than it used to be because you know, the NFL was 11 on 10 for 70 years. And the defense never had to account for the quarterback. He was never, ever a threat in anything. There was no read game that was a threat in anything. And, most of the time, if there were any bootlegs or waggles, you know, you kind of, oh, heck, the, the bootleg, and you chased the run like hell, and when the quarterback got out there, he couldn't move, so you just ran him down, and 
hope that your coverage could handle, you know, the flood routes or the, or the drags or the over routes. And, you know, I, I think now the NFL game is, is, is now a little bit, it's fun to watch it more fun to watch for me at least than it used to be. And, and I think it's, it's more knowledgeable to help coaches. So I think it's good for, I think it's good for everybody involved now because now you have, at least in my opinion, I think you have more outlets to learn the game of football than you did before as a high school coach, because I never, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I never would have looked at anything the NFL did to learn anything as a high school coach. I always studied college football because it was so much more relative to what we did. Coach, do you see that a lot in Florida? Uh, I know in Texas I see that, and you kind of mentioned it, but uh, is that what a lot of teams are, are going to is is finding their best athlete, um, maybe not necessarily the best uh, that you would think of uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, pure quarterback, but their best athlete um, that's good enough at quarterback and, and, and then putting him at quarterback and, and running an offense around uh, a running style quarterback. I see that a lot in Texas. I don't know that that's made the jump over to Oklahoma necessarily. Obviously, some teams do it, but I see it a lot in Texas. Is that something you, you guys are seeing a lot in Florida as well? Yeah, I think it's been done in Florida for a while now, and I think if you look at a lot of if you look at a lot of college rosters and a lot of those players, they all end up telling you that they were quarterbacks in high school. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, kind of the perfect example to me in that is, is when, you know, when Tim Tebow came out in the NFL and they critiqued his throwing mechanics and they kind of tried to blame Urban Meyer and his staff. And he basically told people, listen, they don't pay me to make NFL players. They pay me to win games. <laughs> uh, that's kind of the same thing in high school, you know. I mean, obviously, we want kids to go on and play college football. And the more kids from our program that play college football, the better it makes our program look. But at the end of the day, as a high school coach, um, unfortunately, in our society, winning and losing has become the be-all, end-all of what a coach does, especially in the state of Florida and Texas. And if you're not winning football games, you might find yourself looking for a job. And, and I think – guys have figured out that it's easier to win games when you put the ball in your best player's hands. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think, I think it's easier to coach. Um, you know, I, I think you guys would both probably be experts in the field to say that if you want to run a good power play from under center, you, you better be able to block it. You better be able to block it right. Um, and all of a sudden with the advent of power read, you could be, you could be, you know, a, a, a mediocre power team, but with the element in there of getting the ball to the perimeter and reading it, now all of a sudden the power play is is a, a great downhill run for you, and you may not be that good at teaching it or running it, but it's become a better play than it was when you were 21 under center. So, um, you know, I, I think to me, and I've always said this, and I, I have no problem telling people, I, I think I think shotgun – whatever you want to call spread offenses, I don't really like to label them that way because, you know, we're a shotgun team, but we're two back 90% of the time. So I don't really know if we're spread or not. I don't think we're spread, but um, I think the shotgun with all the read elements involved, I think it makes it easier for you to coach because you don't have to block things as well. I think, I think the best coaches out there are the guys that are still under center, you know, running power, ISO counter and things like that, because I think they have to do a better job blocking the box and teaching people how to block the box. So I think the, you know, the, as much as I love the shotgun game, I'll be the first one to tell you that I don't think you have to be as good of a coach. If you have some good players, I just think you have to find a way to create space. Well, I'll tell you what, what I really enjoyed about this year, we had a, a, a good running court. We actually had kind of a two quarterback system. So we had one that ran the ball really well and one that was more of an, an under center type uh, passer. 
but uh, what we what we got into a lot with with our running quarterback, we didn't get a t- really heavy into like power read. We got into some backside zone read, which was again a great change up for teams to have to get ready for. But was the ability to get in eleven personnel with um, you know our running quarterback and run true twenty one basically personnel type power, you know, with a tight end and a your tailback acting as a fullback, uh, but you're in eleven personnel, so the box is. Really, really clean, really, really nice for you uh, because you're in basically 11 personnel, but you're still getting to run, um, you know, a quarterback with a fullback and a, and, a, and a tight end. You know, we even got to where we were going. Um, I don't know what personnel you'd call it, but uh, 21 with, with uh, three receivers, uh, you know, because we took our tailback out, put a fullback in next to the quarterback, and but we still got to have three receivers and a tight end and a fullback. So uh, it really – cleaned up the box with us uh, with that and and gave us the the chance to um, maybe not probably what I think of when I think of like true RPOs reading after the snap but being able to get up there and, and look hey is is no one over our our uh, inside receiver perfect throw it to him and let's go get you know five to ten yards and and if they are covering those guys well then then we should have great numbers in the box yeah I'm um you know when when people ask me and uh, you know my philosophy or, or what I believe in and, you know, why I don't use a lot of motions, why I don't use a lot of trades and a lot of shifts and why we don't use a tight end. And, you know, the, the first thing I tell them is, is as a coach and a teacher, I believe in giving kids a picture that they can see. And I want to teach to that picture. And the more you change that picture, the more moving parts there are now, the more you have to teach your kids. So even if you're running inside zone, and you've got a bunch of trades and shifts and motions, and you got your center trying to ID the point man. And every time you trade or shift or motion, the defense redeclares, you got to re ID the point man. So, you know, now all of a sudden, you, you and your center have to be better coaches and players to re ID everything. If you stay in formations that may, in some people's opinion, be limiting, I think you can also kind of limit the pictures you see. And now you can do a better job of teaching your old linemen and your quarterbacks, and you can do a better job of teaching them where you think people are going to be based on the looks that you see on film and, and you can get boxes that in, in, in your mind are a little bit cleaner and you can get fronts that are a little bit cleaner and, you know, you can kind of eliminate some fronts, um, you know, with when, when, you know, you lose a three man surface, but when you don't have a tight end in the game, you can really, you can really eliminate some fronts and get down to really simple football to say what you're going to see and where your combinations are going to be. And, when you add a tight end in the game, you add a three-man surface, which is better for the run game, and I'm all for it. But you also add a lot of different looks and multiple combinations that you got to be able to coach. And as a high school guy, I always worried about who the hell's going to coach that guy, you know. And when you when you talk to colleges or NFL teams, a lot of times they have their own tight end coach. So, you know, in high school, who's going to coach the tight end in a run game? Now he's got to go with the O-line guy. But then when you go seven-on-seven, seven, who taught him his routes? Um, you know, so – for me, philosophically, I believe in cleaner pictures. I believe in being able to teach kids what a picture looks like and what we think we're going to do. And if we are going to true RPO, which I'm glad you brought up the term, because to me, an RPO is a post-snap decision. It's not a pre-snap decision. So if we are going to post-snap RPO, then we need to know who we're going to read. And the cleaner we keep that for the quarterback, the easier it is to make his decision. The more the more we muffle that with trades and shifts and motions, the tougher it is to kind of ID who the conflict player is. So, you know, I, I'm kind of – my own philosophy is I believe in simple structures and simple boxes and simple pictures. And if I can teach my kids how to function in, in that setting, then 
I feel like I, I'm a better football coach because I can provide more scenarios and more what ifs if, if the if the pictures are, are a little bit cleaner. Coach, is that another reason, you know, you call it play fast football? Is that is that also part of your philosophy? Are you, are you a tempo guy? Or is that kind of a, another another way to maybe say that, hey, we keep things simple so my guys do play fast, be it offense or defense? Yeah, you know, kind of play fast football came. Um, yeah, we're a tempo team, and I've been a tempo guy for probably 10 or 12 years. And um, play fast football kind of came from my own mistakes that I made when I was younger. and. You know, I when I was really young, I I tried to run everything I possibly could, and I tried to show people how great of a coach I was, and, and I tried to show people that I could run toss, and I could run, you know, G belly off a of toss, and I can run power, and I can run counter, and I can run ISO, and and I could carry all these combinations in a passing game, and you know, I, I felt like as a coach, if if you put that out there, everybody's going to recognize you as this great football coach, and at the end of the day, we weren't good at any of them. And we, we had nothing to hang our hat on. We couldn't run any of the things well. Um, so play fast football really came from probably 10 or 12 years of me making my own mistakes and overcomplicating things. And, and uh, you know, it had a little bit to do with tempo. And, and we're a tempo team because I believe in the practice, stru the practice structure of it. I believe it gives us more reps. Um, I believe that it helps us defend tempo when we need to see it. I believe that at, at the – the schools that I've been at in my career, we are not, um, you know, I would say probably six or seven games out of the season, we are not the better football team. Obviously, from year to year, that's changed. I've had, you know, I had one season where we were probably the better team eight times out of the ten. But for me in my career, most of the time, we weren't the better team. And I just think tempo equals a lot of those things out. If you get off the bus and I can't block you, then the only way I'm going to be able to block you is is I've got to, I've got to wear you down and get you tired. And I've got to be able to read you a little bit because I physically can't block you. So, um, you know, play fast football is kind of a combination of, of tempo and uh, check with me defense. You know, we, we do a lot of our stuff on the back end like TCU does. And this year we switched to a 3-3 stack because it was easier for my kids and my coaches. But, um, you know, play fast is an idea. It's, it's more of a philosophy than it is, um, you know, than it is a, a – a moniker to say it's more of a brand to say play fast football is a way to get your kids to understand the game, hopefully do it in a manner that they can react on Friday nights and not overthink things. And, you know, I'll get, I'll get messages all the time to say, Hey coach, you know, you're talking about simplifying things for your kids, but you're making it really complicated on the board. And what I explain to people is just because I do a video on certain things doesn't mean I use all those things. I mean, it doesn't, I don't carry 15 coverages into a game. I don't carry all those things on offense. I, I do videos on things that people want to hear about and things if I'm knowledgeable enough to talk about them, I'll do a video on it. But that doesn't mean that I go into each week with that in my game plan. My game plan is probably more simplistic than most people would ever imagine. Um, but, you know, play fast was a combination of all those things. It was tempo and it was simplicity and it was trying to get your kids to get on the field and do things without having meltdowns every play and, and without you having meltdowns on the sideline because your kids are having meltdowns on the field. I think we run into that quite a bit too, coach. I think there's um, uh, a lot of people that not a lot. There are some people that, that almost get angry with us and are like, there's, I can't believe you guys have so many of these plays uh, in your offense and, and this and that. And then, uh, you know, we kind of always go back to almost the same thing. And then we're like, hey guys we don't run all of this every week or even every year but this is how 
if it works with our offense that year, this is how we would call it. This is how we install it to make it uh, the most simple uh, with our offense. And, and maybe we're only using a fourth of, of our whole playbook, and maybe we're only teaching this fourth of our playbook, but here's how we, would, we can install and how we have installed these other things in the past um, it, that makes the most sense with our offense so it all schemes up and it all works together. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one big thing when, when anybody that comes and asks why we do what we do on offense or why I believe in some of the things I believe in, um, and one of the reasons I do is because I feel like with the ever-changing pieces in high school football and you not really controlling the cards that you're dealt, every year you're going to have to wrinkle some things to fit your personnel. And as a head coach, I, I just do not believe in changing systems every two years just because of the kids you have. So I feel like if you carry a system that can be conducive to everything, when you get a quarterback and some old linemen that can protect and some receivers, then go ahead and throw it. When you get a quarterback then can, you know, that can run it and he's your guy, then go ahead and be a read team. When you get a really good tailback, then go ahead and, and you know, be a, you know, a, a zone stretch, power counter team, whatever you want to be. But be in a system that allows you to do that. So, you know, to me, that's why I think I always hang my hat on shotgun two back, you know, um, whether you want to call it 11 or 20, depending on the kid you use, I hang my hat on, on twins open two back because I feel like when we're good enough to run it, I've got all my runs. When we need to throw it, I can get, you know, four or five receivers into a route. I can get three to the front side of a route and run any combination I want. So, you know, I've always kind of hung my hat on that because I feel like no matter what I get from the junior high or whatever talent I get, I feel like I can make an offense out of it without having to change, um, you know, my entire system. And, when I got the job that I'm at now, the year before I got there, they were running single wing because of the talent that they had, and they did a really good job running it. But when I got there, the one thing I asked them, I said, okay, well, what were you going to run after that, and what were you teaching your younger kids? Because if you're going to run that type of system, I think you need to run it at the JV level so they know it at the varsity level, and now you've kind of taken away the skills of being a quarterback. What if you get a good quarterback? What would you do? And, you know, the answer I got was, well, if we got a quarterback, we would switch again. Well, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't I don't want to switch every year or two because I get a good quarterback or because I don't have a quarterback. I want a system that I can put into place and say that if I want to throw it, I can throw it. If I want to run it, I can run it. If I want to read it, I can read it. And, you know, to me, shotgun two back is the best way to do that. Coach, I love it, man. Amen to that. I think, you know, in, in high school coaches and, and, heck, probably junior high coaches understand that just about better than anybody, you know having to, to modify things, but it's like you said, not, not completely overhauling, you know, the offense. It's like having a system, how we call things, here's our buckets, here's our zone runs, here's our gap runs, here's how we call reads, you know, here's how we, we call jet sweep, whatever it might be that, that you can use that year. But, you know, having the system so the kids can at least call it, name it, you know, see the signal for it, line up in it, and then, hey, whatever it might be this year, here's going to be our three best runs. Here's going to be our, our you know, five or six best passes, and we go to work off of it. You know, again, I think it, it makes it real, real difficult for, you know, someone, I think, to, to pigeonhole and, and stay in the same scheme year after year after year, especially when maybe you don't have the cats to get that done. You know, why, why should I be pounding my head against the wall when I have 164-pound offensive linemen? So, I mean – I think it makes perfect sense what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's, it's um, 
you know, it, it's, it's obviously it's, it's that the talent level, but at the same time, if you have a coaching staff, you know, that's been with you for a couple of years or whatever, do you, do you want to go to your old line coach every two years and tell them to teach something different? You know, do you want to, <laughs> you, you know, do you want to go to your, do you want to go to your quarterback coach every year and tell him he's got to teach something different? Or do you want to go to your secondary coach and tell him he's got to teach something different and relearn something? And, you know, I, I think to me, that's the, if you're fortunate enough to be on a staff that has continuity and you have some coaches that stay with you and that are with you and, you know, you'd like to keep things within the realm of what you've been doing so that there's some type of consistency. And when you go out and study something new or you learn something new, you figure out ways to put it into your system, your terminology, how you're going to call it, how you're going to signal it. And, you know, I mean, don't, don't reinvent the wheel, just find ways to kind of wrinkle what you already do and do it because I, you know, I, as a head coach, I would hate to go to constantly be going down to my old line guy and say, Hey, all right, we're a zone team. We're a gap team. You know, now all of a sudden we're a single wing team. Now all of a sudden we're a flex phone team. You know, I mean, that's just, I just think that's setting the old line coach up for failure. You get kids that you get them in ninth grade, you start working with them and you start getting them to understand certain things. And then all of a sudden you got to change. I just don't, to me, it, it, it's just, I don't think that's good business. I think, you know, I don't think you stay in one thing and say, look, when I have these players, we're good. When I don't have these players, we're not good. I, I think you wrinkle what you do, but I think you kind of have an umbrella to work under to say, this is who we are. And then depending on who our talent is every year, we just kind of, we morph kind of into something that says we run at 80% or we tailback run at 80% or we quarterback run at 60% or we throw at 70%, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. But as long as you have something that's flexible enough that your coaches can stay true to what they've been doing and what, you know, it's hard to develop players when you have no idea what you're developing. So, you know, I mean, developing a, a high school football player is a hard enough job in and of itself when you take into consideration the coordination, agility, footwork, and then the weight room issues. And it's hard to develop a kid to begin with, but when you got to develop them three different ways, that makes it even tougher. So, you know, I think if you can stay within the landscape of who you are and what you do, and then just every year kind of maybe, you know, your, your, your game plans change a little bit or your tendencies change with runs or passes. I, I think there's enough out there where you can do that. And there's, you know, there's so much great stuff in offensive football today that I think there's there's a lot of different ways that you can do that and stay within who you are and just add some wrinkles into the game. And, you know, if you want some perimeter runs into what you already do, then, you know, add perimeter runs to your power game and make them, you know, make some, have some read game and, you know, have some bash or whatever the fancy term guys want to call it is, you know, I mean, have some have some, some you know, some theories where you're running sweeps away from counter or sweeps away from the dark play or this way you can hang your hat on things and, and wrinkle your offense and everybody feels like you're kind of accomplishing the same goal. You're trying to win with what you have, but you're letting your coaches do what they've been doing the last three or four years. Coach, so it sounds like you guys obviously play with that fullback or, or tight end type body, whatever you want to call them, right, in that 20 personnel set. I think the thing that we always run into at, at, at Broken Arrow where I'm at, you know, we're more 21, but still uh, the the problem we run into a lot of the times is uh, how can we find enough plays to run away from the fullback, you know, so where he's not the, the tendency breaker. Even even when, uh, you know, when you run counter, maybe he doesn't start on that side, but he's still a lot of times on most of our plays taking you to the ball. Uh, is that something that, that you guys – try to be cognizant about and and try to find plays that that work uh that your fullback isn't taking you to uh it, have you found any good run plays or or is that um 
some stuff you got to build off of play action and and some RPOs and read game stuff. I think you have to be cognizant of it, but I I think too many people get a little bit too carried away with it because if you grew up when I grew up in the 80s and you watched the NFL, the fullback took you to every play. And the fullbacks in the NFL were going to the Pro Bowl and they never touched the ball one time. Um, and in the run game, at least. Uh, and and there were still – these are professional teams that are getting paid the most amount of money and, and at the highest level possible. And the fullback would take you to 90% of the runs and they had no problem doing it. Uh, so I think that theory is a little bit overplayed. Um, you know, I think I, I, I think the reason – you, you, you hear about it so much in high school is because everybody is so keen on, on keys and reads because high school football kids and most football in general, you know, even college kids, but I think bad eye discipline is, is what really concerns defenses the most. And they want to give their kids something true that they can read. So, you know, when you used to play wing T teams and they had the false poles with the guards and, the more false pull plays that they had, the, the tougher it made it to read if you were going to try and underkey the guards. And um, so, I, I mean, I definitely think that's something that you have to be concerned with in your offense. But if you're really good at what you do, let the fullback take you to the ball. If you have numbers and he can block who he's supposed to block, I, I really don't think it's a big deal that he takes you to the ball. It, it, you know, the bigger deal to me is do they get an extra hat to the ball that you can't block? Or do they put an extra hat in the block in the box that you can't block because of the fullback sniffer personnel? Or, um, you know, I, I think I think I would worry more about do I have numbers in the box to block it when my fullback gets there, and they key off of him because they know he's going there and that takes him to the play. If I have six and you have six and you know where the play's going, if my six block your six, what does it matter? So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. Yes, uh, yes, we are probably heavy sniffer. Um, tendency laden uh yes we've had some teams that with their linebackers have keyed off of our sniffer uh yes we have tried in the past I think one of the best to me I think the dark play or the tackle wrap is probably one of the best misdirection plays because mm. uh, you know off of the jet sweep off of the jet sweep action or the or the front side running back action you can have a perimeter play with your fullback arc releasing to take care of run through from a Mike linebacker but the actual point of attack on the play is the other way. So, you know, depending on what the five technique does or depending on how you're reading the play or blocking the play, you can send your fullback away from the play. Um, and, and now you get a, a little bit of a misdirection play. You guys probably like most 20 personnel teams, you're running, you know, high school, you're running more GF counter than GT counter. So he takes you to the counter play because he's the second puller. He's the rapper. Um, right. Teams that run GT counter like Oklahoma uh, that get really good at it. Um, I think if you run GT counter out of two back, I think now that's a way just like the dark play. I think you can get your fullback to the perimeter for the outside portion of the play and you can run GT counter the other way. Um, the only downside to that, in my opinion, I think the, the thing that makes power read such a good play is it's a point of attack read. So if I'm reading the five technique and he widens and I keep the power play, I'm running the power right at the five technique that widened and he essentially blocked himself. Um, and that makes it a good play because you don't have to block him. when you're running any read game away from the dart or any read game away from GT. The point of attack is the other side. So they can still squeeze and wrong and wrong arm and spill mm. the other side. And you need a guard that can either kick out or log and, 
have a tackle that can wrap and, and teach a ball carrier that if it gets logged, you've got to bounce. Um, that's the only detriment to those kind of plays because, to me, power read is so good because it's a point of attack read. And if the five technique widens, I've already blocked them. Um, the dart play for us is a great misdirection play off the jet sweep, but we still have to handle the front side of the dart with a man scheme. So, um, you know, it still – it has its drawbacks, but I think that would be – um, that would be one way to handle it. And then we do run some inside zone RPOs where we read off the mic versus split field coverage. We send a, we'll send a sniffer vertical and we'll read off the mic if he has to carry the sniffer in a quarter scheme or a, a two read scheme or a split field coverage scheme. And if he's a B gap or an A gap fitter and a three vertical carry player, then, you know, we'll carry RPOs off that. But, um, you know, I, I think that's a logical progression for offensive guys, but, my advice to you is don't get too carried away with it because if you study old fashioned NFL football, the fullback took you to the ball all the time and nobody cared. <laughs> Coach, do you get to, I, I love the answer, by the way, do you guys get to run or do you run much uh, like insert pop pass to the, to the H or to the sniffer? Uh, I see some, uh, a lot of 20 personnel teams do that. And I think that's just uh, such a difficult thing. I would think for a defense to, uh, to defend, especially if you're going to either run, you know, lead, lead, uh, lead inside zone or lock or, you know, backside of inside zone uh, or ISO, you know, whatever, but that insert and then uh, slipping the linebacker and, and pop passing to that guy. Yeah, we, we, uh, we only carry it as an RPO. We don't carry it as a play action pass. Um, oh, wow. Um, we only carry it as an RPO because as a tempo team, I want my quarterback to have certain answers. So, if you carry it as a play-action pass and that guy gets wrecked or he gets covered, you're kind of stuck. <laughs> yeah. If you carry it, we run a lot of insert, so we'll run a lot of uh, – we're more of a veer team than we are a zone team. Uh, we are a kind of a Nevada-ish. Um, we're not always in the pistol, but uh, we're kind of an Ohio State. Uh, we run our, our – our zone read is basically veer blocking. Uh so we're not a split back veer team. Our inside veer doesn't hit off the leg of the guard. It actually hits basically off the front side foot of the center. But we block it as a gap scheme, so it marries in with all our other gap schemes. So now we don't have to teach zone schemes and gap schemes. So um, just like zone teams, though, we'll run a lot of insert. We'll run a lot of uh, kick with the fullback, zip in the backside. Uh, so – because we have multiple tags for the fullback, RPO and off the fullback insert for us is, is a pretty good play for our split field coverage teams. Um, the only thing I haven't done because we're a tempo team, I, I don't – I've been beaten by it uh, in the past, and it's a really good play, but I, I don't insert them through the line of scrimmage when we run it. We, in, we run it with them going outside the tackle. Um, and probably offensively looking at it, that probably sometimes can be a little bit of a giveaway, but – because we're a tempo team, I really don't care where the three technique is when I call plays. So mm -hmm. um, a lot of times when you run that play, you want that B gap open so that, you know, so that sniffer can get through that open gap clean. And it's a lot tougher when it's a three and a five there. So um, we do it by arc releasing them outside the tackle box. And I like it better as a deceptive – as a deception play when he releases through the line of scrimmage. I think it's a thing of beauty. Um, I just don't trust it enough with the fronts changing and where the fronts are. And because we're a tempo team, I don't know where the front is when I call my play. So uh, I don't like it with him going in there. But I think when, when you see the teams that insert them through the line of scrimmage and run them vertical, that's dirty.
Yes, it it definitely is. Well, Coach, we're, we're kind of coming off on an hour, but I wanted to ask you one more thing, especially because it's, it's one of my kind of things I've, I've wanted to learn more about. Do you guys run much? And I don't know if this is even the right term, but do you guys run much wham with the fullback uh, in your offense or any at all? Yeah, you know, it was a it was a very good play to us when we were an inside zone team. Um, and as a veer team, I've struggled to uh, I've struggled to get it in as much as I used to get it in with the zone stuff because um, with the veer scheme, what you got to kind of imagine is veer right is actually zone left if, if right. you can picture that in your mind. So um, so a lot of times when we're when we have uh, when we have the sniffer, you know, we've we've got to put ourselves into sets where we can wham the backside of what is actually now the front side of the veer play and not the backside of the zone play. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a terminology thing. It's really the same play. Like for us, once we get it installed, um, all you're really doing on the backside, you know, we already locked the tackle for RPO stuff. So that's not a big deal for us. It's the front side of our veer scheme for you guys or anybody else that's running zone. It's the backside, but we already locked that guy to run RPOs. We already lock him to run ISOs or inserts. So now all we're doing is trading the responsibility of the guard and the, and the fullback. So, you know, now all we're doing is we're running. The beauty about it is if you really want to get, you know, ballsy as a play caller, you, once you do that, you've already got midline taught. So, um, you know, once you, once you teach the guard to climb to a backer and you teach the sniffer to kick an interior player, you're running an old-fashioned trap scheme, but you really – in a way, I know a lot of option guys will probably freak out when they hear this, but you know, <laughs> in a way, you kindly you kind of have midline taught. You know, you would tell your guard, "Hey, look, you know, like I did it one time with our guys. I, I wanted to do it just to see if it could be done." And we ran jet sweep, and I told our guys, "Hey, I want you to block the insert play." And we didn't have a fullback in, so we couldn't ins we couldn't. Uh, I'm sorry, to wham play, and we couldn't wham the guy because we didn't have the fullback in. So we were two by two jet sweep. And I just told the O-line, I said, hey, you guys block, you know, what we would call veer wham. And we actually use the term wham. So we would, I, I told them to block veer wham and leave that guy alone and climb the linebacker. And I wanted to see what would happen if we could read the interior guy on a jet sweep. And, and what I realized was, you know, I already had midline taught predominantly, you know, with the exception of maybe the extra – lead blocker for the quarterback if you want to make it a b-gap iso play but as far as my old line was concerned i i basically i taught the wham play and i had midline rules kind of already set in stone so it was really good for us um and you know the other thing about it is those are the kids that a lot of times the interior guys are the ones that aren't taught as much uh you know they still block wreck and they still squeeze and they still try to wrong arm but Nowadays, in, in the game of football that we play, you can almost guarantee that five techniques are going to squeeze in wrong arm and try and spill. So sometimes if you can pick on one and three techniques, I think you have a better chance mm. of kicking out, you know, one techniques and three techniques. And you guys are talking about the NFL. You know, if you watch the Super Bowl, the first play that Patriots ran, and I think it ended up being Indomitian Sue and not Aaron Donald, but you could see right away their theory was these guys are so good up the field, we're going to let them go up the field and, and we're going to kick them. So – you know, I, I think that theory definitely as a zone team, it, uh, it, it, to me, it opens up your run game so much more because now you've got inside zone, you've got zone kick or, or you know, uh, zone zip or whatever you want to call it, where you split flow zone the backside. 
Um, and now you've got zone wham, and now you've got zone insert. So to me, if you're an inside zone team, I think you got to carry all of them. The only thing I would tell you is uh, I don't know what you guys see, but how often – where do you think they set the three technique, to the sniffer or away from them? I don't. I don't know that we get. I don't know that we get it a bunch with the sniffer. And again, we don't. We're not twenty. We're we're more twenty one. So we're going to see you know three tech probably heavy to the tight end. Yeah. So that the good thing with that is then you just you know you just kind of flip. If you're going to get if you're a twenty one team and they're an overfront, they're going to set the three technique to the three man surface. So now as an offense, you just go ahead and put the fullback on the weak side, and you know you'll always be whamming the three technique. So. For us, without a tight end in the game, um, we see a lot of three technique to the sniffer. So what ends up happening now is based on how we set it, we end up having to wham the one technique, and it's not a – I don't like it as much whamming the one technique as I do the three technique. Mm. So, so for us, it's a little bit of a bitch. We would, have to, we would have to motion the sniffer or do something different because I feel like in our game plans, a lot of teams set the front to the sniffer. So – when we're seeing even teams, a lot of times we'll, we won't get a chance to wham the three technique because he always sets himself to the sniffer. Coach, what are some things maybe you do, you know, against teams that the, the question I wanted to ask was with the, with the sniffer, a lot of times, you know, teams will, will treat it as, well, he's not a very viable receiving threat. So a lot of times you'll see that safety almost at, you know, linebacker level or, you know, they'll play some form of zero or invert to that side. What are some things that you like to do to, to get the sniffer involved, you know, in the past game, you know, what, what are some things that you guys have kind of done to, to maybe combat some of those looks? Uh, we've, we've incorporated like everybody else off of our zone read or veer read game. We've, we've run the slice play or the hide play or whatever you want to call it, where we'll read the five technique and we'll put the fullback in the flat and we'll block the overhang. If we're seeing split field safety teams, we'll go ahead and block the overhang apex and we'll block the corner. And we'll release the sniffer behind the line to the flat, read the five technique. If the five technique closes, we'll throw the ball in the flat. And now we, we, have, the, we have the sniffer in the flat and we're blocking for him. Um, and then off of that, we'll lock the front side. So when you start seeing man free or scrape exchange teams, we'll lock the front side and read the mic. So we'll run the same theory and we'll lock the five and whatever. If it's a three and a five, we'll lock the three and a five and read the mic. So if they're a man free team or a scrape exchange team and now the mic tries to run with the sniffer, now we read off the mic, so if he runs with the sniffer, we just go ahead and give the inside veer play. Um, you know, obviously we've tried to run some boots and some things to get him, um, you know, to slip him out in, on, in the backside of the run game. And we run the RPO with the sniffer vertical. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think you got to try and incorporate him in the run game. As, I mean, I'm sorry, in the passing game as much as you can. Um, but adding him into the RPO game I think helps a bunch. Um, and then, you know, my answer to guys all the time, it, the common question I get all the time nowadays from offensive and because I call both sides of the ball and speak on both sides of the ball, I get a lot of people that ask me about how do we defend RPOs? And now they ask me about how do we run RPOs versus man coverage? And, you know, the first thing I tell people as an offensive coordinator, if you know that you're getting man coverage because of RPOs, haven't you already beaten half the battle as a coordinator? I mean, that's right. As an offensive coordinator, is, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you say one of your first goals is to kind of dictate to the defense what they do? So yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I'm an RPO team and your answer is man, well, as an offensive coordinator, I just want half the battle. I'm making you play what I want you to play. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's one way I look at it. So if you get teams that are going to heavy invert one way to a sniffer or they're going to do certain things in a box to a sniffer, I think as a coordinator on offense, instead of 
instead of getting kind of, you know, um, befuddled about what you're going to do or how you're going to do it, the other way to look at it as a coordinator, you've already kind of gained an advantage. You're, you're dictating to them how to play. They're not playing a lot of their normal base stuff. They're playing something wrinkled to how you what you do with the sniffer. So I think you've already won half the battle. And now if I'm an RPO team and the response is man, a lot of guys say, well, what RPOs do you have for man? I personally don't believe there are RPOs for man coverage because there's no conflict player. RPOs versus man become play action passes. So, so to me, I don't worry about dialing up RPOs to beat man. I worry about having some man beaters because now if, mm. if they're so concerned with RPOs that they're going to play man, I've already won half the battle. I dictate to you what you do, and now I just draw up my man beater. So, you know, I, I think I think when they play the box a certain way or they play a certain coverage because of the sniffer, I, y- yes, you have to have answers, but I wouldn't get too upset about it because I think you're already winning the battle by making them play how you want them to play. I love that answer, Coach. It's a great way to look at it. Well, uh, last, last question I always like to ask guys is uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? I always The first thing I look at is do they finish? Um, how physical are they? Do they finish blocks? That's the first thing I look at. Second thing I'm going to look at is footwork. Um, you know, are they – you know, are they heavy-handed? Are they balls ass off the ball? Are they leaning? Are they, you know, are they not going to be able to handle movement and stunts? And, um, you know, teams that, you know, good gap teams, you know, their footwork's going to be phenomenal. They're going to finish. Their double teams are going to be impeccable. There's going to be no air between the double teams. And good zone teams are always going to do a great job of overtaking the backside. And good stretch teams are always going to do a great job of determining when they can reach and when they can't and when they're going to get heavy-handed inside and run your ass to the sideline. And so, you know, first thing I look at is physicality. How physical are offensive linemen? What are we in for that week? And then I look at footwork, um, and I try and see how well they're taught, you know, depending on the schemes they're running. Um, You know, anybody that leans, anybody that comes forward first, anybody that, you know, that doesn't – anybody that turns on double teams and doesn't stay square, things like that, I know we're going to be able to get some movement and. I know we're going to be able to kind of slip some backers in and, and around off of our defensive line movement. So I would say physicality first, feet second, and then just the technical ability with how they're taught. You can – I mean, if you've watched football long enough and you know anything about O-line play, as soon as you turn a film on, you, you, it doesn't take you long to figure out how good or bad they are. Coach, man, it's been an absolute blast. I've, I've always been a fan of, uh, of watching a lot of the videos on, on YouTube. So it's been, it's been a blast here to, to get you on for an hour. And, and like I said uh, to Harper before, uh, I could probably sit here and, and talk ball with you for about three, four hours. So I appreciate you taking some time, and, and hopefully we get a chance to do it again. Yeah, that'd be great. You guys, uh, like I said, it's an honor for me. You know, as, as big as the YouTube channel is, when I look on Twitter, Run to Power is like a cult. it's got a it's got a great following and and i see all these guys that are wearing the sweatshirts and the beanies and you guys are doing a great job with what you're doing you found your niche keep doing it and it was a pleasure for me and that's gonna do it for this episode of rtp we want to again thank all of our sponsors you guys make sure and go check them out help grow our community by telling other coaches about run the power and if you enjoy running the power go get your shirt long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. 
Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.